exposed to hazard or danger, to incur the risk or danger of, and the possibility of something unwelcome or unpleasant. Like, this is the definition of risk. Now, last year, I read this book by Craig Rochelle, and it was this book on prayer. And I have to tell you, in this COVID season that we have been walking through, my own prayer life has been challenged greatly. I've had to really pay attention more and more to what God is saying to my life, to the life of our church. And and so I I read this book on prayer because I wanted to be sharper. And as I read that book, I started as well as reading my Bible. And I was beginning to see in the Old Testament and the New Testament These men and women who were offering these prayers to God. But the one thing I was catching was that these these prayers were bold. And they were far from some of the safe prayers that I've prayed in my own life. You know, prayers like, God, please give us some more sunshine and less rain today. Or thank you, Lord, for the pizza and the pop that I'm about to consume. Safe prayers. And, and, and again, I'm not saying anything bad about those prayers, but what was catching my attention is would I be willing to pray a bold and to pray a risky prayer, even if it brings the, the, um, the, the, the possibility of something unpleasant or unwelcome in my life? I, I remember this last year, or actually not even this last year, this last week, in our Bible reading plan together as a church, we're, we're walking through the Bible uh, program in a, in a year, and we landed on the text of Luke chapter 11. And it was this text where it asks us to ask, seek, and knock. And, and, and it's really a lesson about this idea of persistence. And when I was thinking about persistence, I actually went back to my childhood, and I, I imagined that when our family was going on a road trip, us kids would sit in the back row, and to our parents, we would communicate probably a million times over. And then some of you parents right now, as I'm even saying this, you know what's coming. But as kids, we would ask this simple question, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And our parents wanted nothing more than just to silence us and to get rid of us. But we kept this persistent question in front of us. And I'm looking at that persistency when it comes to our prayer life. What could happen? And if I were to take a look at Luke chapter 22, I would kind of come to that place of of saying, like this idea of prayer and persistence and bold versus safe is really coming down to this idea of, God, not, not my will, but I want your will to be done today in me. So today I am asking our church family to pray a risky prayer with us for the next four weeks. We're going to look at Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24. And we're going to ask God some risky things. But I want you to hear me here. I'm not looking to bring danger into your life. What I'm asking for us all is that we would want to move towards bold and risky prayers, maybe versus the safe prayers that many of us, myself included, have been praying. And so today, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn to Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Two simple verses, but four striking prayers within them. And we're going to read together today. And here's what it says. It says, search me. O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Simple, risky. So will you pray with me as we've read the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this prayer 
because it sure is a risky one. And I pray today that you will allow us, Holy Spirit of God, to hear your voice of how I am supposed to pray this prayer because there is a risk factor involved in it. And I ask that you would give a courage to our church family collectively and then individually to individuals who are hearing today to step into this prayer and to pray some big things with you. I ask, Holy Spirit of God, that you will teach us, you will challenge us, and we will love you because of that. So thank you for this day, as um, disorienting as it has been already, perhaps. We focus right now on you. We focus on your word. So Jesus, I love you, and I give you thanks. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, everybody said. That's good. I hope that you're doing well today. Here's, here is the subject title that I would like to speak to us from today. And you'll want to look at your screens and you'll want to hear me because your ears are going to tell you something else. But the, the title today is Open Heart search Not surgery but surgery. And I'm going to give credit where credit is due in our preach team meeting. Uh, Mo Mosley gave us this and we kind of laughed about it as he said it, but then it caught my attention again this week and I think it's fitting for what we're about to do. Open heart search Uri. Now, the author of this text that we have just read is, is David. In fact, this is King David, the king of Israel. In fact, two times in the Bible, in uh, 1 Samuel 13 and Acts 13, he is given this definition over his life, that he is a man after God's own heart. I mean, what an incredible thing to be said about your life, that David was a man after God's own heart. But I have to tell us here today, this guy had issues. I mean, do you know anybody else who has issues in your life? Go ahead, point at them right now. Or maybe don't point at them, whatever you do. But David had issues. This guy committed adultery. He murdered. He lied. He did everything to cover that up. He had issues. What I love about David when it comes to Psalm 139 is at least he had the, the ability to confront the things that he knew that were going on in his life that were not right, perhaps. He also had a courage to step up and pray a prayer like this. And not only that, we see that it is full of risk. But one thing that David does is he admits to us in this text that there is more to him than than he knows. And that he needs God to reveal something deep in his life. So he begins this whole idea of praying a risky prayer by asking for God to do one thing in his life. And that one thing was, as he says it right away, is for God to search him. The Hebrew word for search is hakar. Now try that in your own space right now. Hakar. I mean, like, let it roll off your tongue. It is a very powerful word. Hakar. But he asked God to search him, to hakar him. What he is asking is for God to examine him. He is asking for God to investigate him. And when I see the word investigate, I pay attention. Why? Because one of my favorite shows uh, on television, and it's off the, t- off the TV now, but was this show called CSI Vegas, Crime Scene Investigation. And I love what Crime Scene Investigation Vegas was. And, and I'm not talking about those other lazy spinoffs that they did, okay? Not New York, not Miami or Cyber. I'm talking Vegas, Grisham. Like I, anyway, I got to focus here. I, th- I love this because what they would do as a team is that they would probe. 
they would dig deep into the situations that were all around. They would ask the most difficult of questions so that they could find the best answers. But what they would never do is they would not settle until they were able to get what they were looking for. And what that shows me today is exactly what David is doing here with God. He is asking for God to investigate him. He is asking for God to look deep into his own life and to look at the deep places perhaps that have been hidden. He's looking for the sins to be removed or maybe the false motives that have been happening in his life. And David hakars with God. I want you to come and I want you to search me. An anonymous author says this, and he says, or she says, it is strange that while praying, we seldom ask for change of character, but always a change in circumstance. Let that sink in for a moment. You know, what David is doing is he is asking God to do a change of character in his life. And when you pray the risky prayer of saying, hey God, search me, you open up a moment in front of God where if you give him permission, he's going to do something major. So my question to us as a church family today is this. When is the last time you asked God to search you? And not only that, when is the last time that you sat there and listened and then applied what he had to say to you? Search. It's risky. Then David doubles down in this first line of this prayer in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God, and then he uses the word and no. And this word no um, in its Hebrew word is yada. Now, many of us have maybe heard the expression yada, 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 as in, okay, enough is enough, let's move on, let's keep going. But the word in the term yada has nothing to do with what we have come to know it by. The word yada means to know. The word yada means to have observation, care, instruction, it's advice, it's being aware, perhaps it's to punish at times, it's to perceive and to see. David asks that God would know him, to yada him. This word yada actually shows itself in early book of Genesis, where it says that Adam lay with his wife Eve. In fact, the same word there is Adam yada, Eve. What they are saying and communicating to us in this language is that there is an intimacy that is beginning to take place between Adam and Eve. And David in this exact moment is asking for that intimacy to happen between him and God. David asks God to see him. He's asking him to reveal anything that is opposed to God. David wants to be in an intimate relationship with God. And what David does is he says, okay, God, I want you to search me and I want you to know me. And then he allows us the subject matter of which he is asking these things. And it is his heart. This last week, um, Lisa and I had the opportunity to celebrate our fourth anniversary since being able to move to Victoria, believe this or not. This has gone by so fast already and we are loving the day, we're loving our church, but four years. And, but I wanna take you back to uh, one of the things that happened at the very beginning. I remember the day where my realtor handed me the keys to my house. And it was a great day because we knew that as we toured around the outside of the house, I could have gotten through the back door, but guess what, the back door was locked. I could have went through the garage 
but the garage had a certain code to it that I didn't know yet. But this one little key gave me access to come into the front door. And, and the, the, the neat part about our house is once you come into our front door, you enter into a corridor of doors. Like, it is unbelievable. I can't believe that they fit so many different doors. I think we have about seven different doors and about a 20-foot gap. Like, it is weird. From closets to bathroom to rooms, but it is a little crazy. But that one key gave me access into my home. And then I noticed that in my home, there are certain rooms that have locks on the door, believe it or not. So I can allow somebody not to get into certain places as well. As I was thinking about this illustration, it reminds me that the house that we were able to purchase is, is no different than the house that I have. And let me make this parallel here. See, what I wonder with what David is doing is, have you given Jesus the keys to your heart? Like, have you given him the initial key where he may actually open the front door of your heart, come and have residence and be the savior of your life? But here's the question. Are there actual spaces and places in your heart that are locked, though, to Jesus? I mean, yeah, he has the main key, but have you locked off things that he's not supposed to touch, things that you don't want him to do? You see, when we pray prayers like, search me, O God, and know me, there's a great fear in that, is there not? Because what if God actually decides to listen to the prayer that I'm offering to him right now? What do I do at that moment? And I'm asking us today, have you given full access of your heart to God? Because a heart that is surrendered to God will fully come to life and things will begin to take place. That word heart that David refers to in this text is the word labab. And labab was the inner person. I mean, it was, it was the inner man, it was the heart, mind, and soul. In fact, it was the center of the person. The ancients believed, as we do today, that the heart is the, is the centrality of everything that goes on. I mean, it is the seed of the appetites. It is the seed of the emotions. It's the seed of, of the passions that we have. When people look at our heart, they look at it from a literal context that it is everything. You starve the heart literally, you're dead. If you starve the heart when it comes to your spirituality, it begins to flutter as well. They looked at the heart as the seed of it all. It's why in Matthew chapter 22 37 to 40, we are given the instructions from the greatest commandment. It says, you shall love the Lord your God, say it with me, with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And then you need to love everybody else the same. It's interesting how the greatest commandment focuses in even on your heart. See, the primary purposes of our life is knowing God well and having that surrendered heart with him. David prays the risky prayer of search me God and know me and I need you to know my heart. But today for the last few minutes I want to focus in on our hearts. I want to take a look at how do we assess whether or not God can or can't do something with my heart. And so to do that I want to give us three thoughts on the heart and then we will kind of make our way and make a, a point off of it. The very first thing that I want to um, talk to us about in the heart is a, is a cardiology analysis. So a cardiology analysis, let, let's take a look at this. The average um, human heart is the size of an adult fist. Interesting. 
The heart is supposed to beat about 115,000 times a day. 2,000 gallons of blood pump through it. Did you know this about your heart? That if you were to take your heart out of your chest right now and you were to remove it from the body, it can still function and beat for a limited time. Now, don't try that at home, obviously, but it has this ability to do that, right? From major arteries and valves and, and veins and vessels, I gotta tell you that the human heart is one intricate piece of our body. It's why we look at our heart as the center of everything. Everything flows through your heart physically, but what David is showing us is that spiritually, there's something about our hearts as well that is quite intricate. In Proverbs 4, verses 23, it says this about our heart. It says that you are to guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, I want you to focus in on this text for a moment, and I want you to see the word else. The word else in the Hebrew is mishmar. The word that is being represented here is confinement, prison guard, to watch. And what it talks about is pointing to the protection. What our author is showing us is, is that we have to protect our hearts above everything else, above everything else, because it will determine the course of your life. And then Jeremiah 17, 9 comes in and it shows us something really disturbing today. And it says that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? What a great encouragement for us this Sunday, isn't it? That your heart is going to deceive you. Have you ever experienced that before? Because I know I have. Now listen, you may think that your heart is good, which at times it definitely will be, but the word of God instructs us that, listen, our hearts are deceitful and you have to be very aware of that. And so we have to have this analysis of knowing I gotta protect my heart, but my heart is deceitful and it's gonna play tricks and games on me. So what do I do? And I gotta tell you, like this last week, even in my own life, my heart has shown its deceit in different ways, believe it or not. I mean, when I'm looking back on this last week, I'm looking at some of my experiences, ones with my kids, one with my wife, where, you know, th there are things where I see that the motive of my heart and the things that I'm doing to approach my family is not fully right. And because it's not right, it's sinful. I mean, I remember with some of the things with the kids and then as I have conversations with Lisa, we start talking about it. We each have positions where, you know, sometimes we want to dig our heels into the dirt and to have our points come across as a certain way. And, and you kind of just, to, to, in order to make a point. But I know that in my entry point, I, I simply want to bring a resolve. And so I have to bring a humility. I have to say these words to my wife this, this last week, that I'm sorry for what I have done to you. And will you forgive me? And folks, there's a difference between just being sorry and forgiveness. But our hearts, are they, they will deceive us. And even this week, my heart deceived me. And because life literally flows through our heart, our mandate according to Scripture is to guard it. Attention needs to be given. The second thing that I want to show us about our heart is that our input dictates our output. Now, Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 to 37, talks about how out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth is going to speak. And if I were to paraphrase as well, I would say, and your body is going to act. 
what this text talks about is that there is a treasury of good in our hearts, and then there is a treasury of evil in our hearts. And there is this battle that is taking place in your hearts. Why the Jeremiah text makes sense, because our heart is deceitful. You have got this epic battle going on in your heart every single day of your life for good and evil. And last week in our Easter message, I had talked about what you focus on grows. Listen, if you have got good things in your heart and you focus on that, it's going to bring flourishing and life all around you. But if you've got things in your heart that are not good, it is going to bring a detriment to you as well. And what we're seeing with Jesus teaching us in that moment is that your inner person matters most. What Jesus wants to do with you and I today is he wants to change us, not from the outside in, but the inside out. And the way he's going to do that is he's going to get to your heart. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19, it talks to us about the eyes being the portal to our heart, that when you allow good things to come through the portal of your eyes, it is going to flood your whole entire being with light. And yet when you allow bad things to penetrate your eyes and they come through that portal and that passageway, it says that darkness begins to set in. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but the first name is Alexander. And he said this, that the battle line between good and evil runs through the heart of every man and every woman. I love this quote. It shows us today that we have this epic battle that is raging on inside. So let me cut to the chase with this. If input dictates output, what you are watching right now matters a whole lot to Jesus. The things that you are allowing to come through the portal of your eyes matters to him because out of the overflow of your heart you're going to do this in fact i would go on to say that what you listen to the music that you place into your life the conversations that you are placing into your life matters to jesus have you ever been in a situation where there has been an eruption of emotions through verbal communication it's an issue of the heart there's something going on in the heart that is not settled. In fact, we even know this about the inputs that we are placing in. Even what you eat matters to your heart. Because if you decided to live on a diet that was unhealthy for the rest of your life, guess what's going to happen to your heart? It's going to shut down. See, the inputs and the things that you are placing in, they matter to God. So let me ask us the question today. What are you feeding your heart in this exact moment? Because out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth is going to speak. Your body is going to act and you're going to live a certain way. So which treasury are you going to bring to light? The third and the last piece that I want to talk to us about today is the title and the subject that we jumped in on. Open heart searchery. Because I know what some of us are thinking here. Sean, listen, if my heart is that deceitful, what's the point? Like, why would I want to do this thing? Why would I want to pray a prayer like this? Because I know I'm just going to fall down on my face again. And I want you to hear me with this. Because I think that this is the lie that the enemy wants to use against most of us most of the time. See, the instruction is, is that we are to guard our hearts. Because it is so deceitful. 
And God knows that. And so instead of focusing on the negative, again, what you focus on grows. What would it look like if we were to actually take the negative things that we have thought and done in our lives and start to focus on them in a way where God could have rule and reign in our hearts and in our lives? You see, we need to learn to to focus on the promises of God, the things that he says about our hearts that are good. Because as David sits there, he's like, search me, God, and know my heart. What we need to see is that David is about to unleash all of the bad that he has done. But he first comes to a place of simply admitting to God, I am broken, I am wounded, and my heart is in a not great spot. Come and search me and know me, God. So I love what um, in this, in this idea of, of open heart surgery, Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 29 says that when you search, when you search for God, it says that with your whole heart, you will find him. You got a broken heart today, bring it to God. Because when you search for him, Hakar, when you search for God, you will find him. And he will bring that repair. He will help your heart. It doesn't mean that you won't make mistakes moving forward. Let's be honest with that one, right? But he will help you. The text that we used um, moments ago in in Jeremiah uh, chapter 17. Let me continue it. It says that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But somebody say, but. But. It says, but I, the Lord, search, open heart, search, Uri. I, the Lord, search all hearts, and I examine the secret motives that are there. I give the people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. I love this about God. And he is saying, listen, I'm going to search your heart. If you pray this prayer, I'm going to search your heart as well. And you know what God whispers to us today? Is quit rationalizing the garbage and the bad in our lives. I mean, you and I both, and I'm good at this, I rationalize away so that I can get away with what I want to in my life. But God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to challenge your motives as well. I'm going to see them and I'm going to work with them. What I'm asking you in this text is let your motives come to light. Let, let, let your heart know that as the seed of emotions where a lot of feelings happen. Listen, folks, I got to tell you this. Your feelings don't always tell you the truth. Have you ever noticed that before? Your feelings don't always tell you the truth. So you have to be careful. You have to align yourself back to the things that God is saying. And God wants your heart. He wants to do something with you. I started 2021 in in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. I gave a challenge to our our church family about the, the valley of dry bones coming to life. And that was actually Ezekiel 37. But chapter 36, I used this verse. And it says this. God is saying this to you. You got a hard heart today? He says that I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and I'll give you a tender and a responsive heart. You have to know what God wants with your heart. He wants to remove those things that are not well and he wants to give you a tender and a responsive heart. And then I love what our author King David said in Psalm 51, verses 10, he knew he had fallen apart. He knew his heart was was deceitful. And yet he prays these prayers and he says, create in me a clean heart, oh God, 
and renew a right spirit within me. I actually want to sing to you right now because as I read that verse, I go to my childhood, a sweet and beautiful chorus. And I remember many times falling on my knees, praying this prayer to God, creating me because I know my heart is deceitful. But I need you. And God's promise to you today is that if you come to him, you give him your heart, if you pray a risky prayer, like search me and know my heart, what God will come and do is he will give open heart surgery to you and to me. And what he will do is he will remove those hardened places of your heart and he will restore the joy of his salvation to you today. But it's gonna take men and women boys and girls, all of us to come and to say, do I want to pray a risky prayer? Search me, O God, and know my heart. The heart is the seed of it all. The instruction is to guard it because it is deceitful. But I'm here to tell you today, you have one who is with you. His name is Jesus. And he wants to give you a heart that has good treasury in it. So will you let him do that today? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is very clear about our heart. And the heart is a big deal. This is what I'm praying for this church over this next month. As you challenged my own heart last year, I'm asking that our church would get risky with this prayer. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul and mind, everything, our heart. And we are to love other people. But you know what, God? I struggle with other people a lot of the time. It's because my heart is not set on your heart. And so when I pray a prayer like this, I invite you access to access in my heart you're going to shine a magnifying glass on those things that you do not want a part of me. And my ask is that we would be a submissive church to the move of Jesus Christ. I pray today for those hearts that have been deceitful for too long. Speak to those hearts in Jesus' name. I pray that you will remove the stony and the stubbornness that resides within us and that you will put a tender and a responsive heart. At the end of the day, all of this is going to reflect our relationships around us. And I pray that you will challenge us today. So Holy Spirit of God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right heart within me. If that is you today and you know that your heart has been deceitful, present it to him. Remember, like I said, you could be sorry and you could ask forgiveness. Make forgiveness be the anthem of your heart. And if you're here listening with us maybe for the first time today, you have never given your heart to Jesus. 
Maybe you've never given him the key to the door of your heart. Today, it would be a privilege of ours to walk through that joyous opportunity of you surrendering your life to Jesus by saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I know you love me. Come and fix, restore and redeem my heart. All you need to do is you could press the button if you're live with us today about salvation or you could text the word LIFE to 250-478-7113 and we would love the opportunity to pray with you, to walk through these steps with you. We invite you this week to continue the conversation on Wednesday night where we're gonna talk about this first part of our risky prayer. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. So come and join us there as well. Church family, we love you. I pray that you will step into this day now with riskiness, a part of who you are, and we will see you next week as we continue the series, Risky. We love you. Have an awesome week. We'll see you soon.